0: Thank you, everyone, for joining us for Resource Families Thrive, our in-house podcast from Stanford Sierra Youth and Families. This is Daniel, Outreach Coordinator from Pathways to Permanency. Today, we will be joined by one of our families who has already accrued a wealth of experience within the foster care to adoption to kinship system. So we'll get to them in just a moment. So for all of our first-time listeners, we want to be able to let you get to know our organization Stanford Sierra Youth and Families is a combined organization merged between two with a long-standing relationship with the greater Sacramento region in foster care, adoption, mental health, and a variety of other services. All of the services that we provide to youth and families in our service areas are dedicated to supporting our mission, transforming lives by nurturing permanent connections and empowering families to solve challenges together so every child can thrive. And in the past year, we have had the privilege of expanding our reach into, I believe it's 14 different counties at this point. So we're very excited about all of the growth and expansion that's come to, come along with our merge. Like I mentioned earlier, we will have one of our families joining us today who have themselves experienced multiple parts of the process, uh, multiple aspects of foster care, including kinship, and I want that to be a highlight today. I've mentioned kinship, at least the term in the past, but we want to have the opportunity to kind of expand that a little bit more. As you will hear later, it essentially means anyone who has a connection to a child who is in foster care. Kin, we always think of as being direct family, but what I want everyone to know right out the gate is that family means a lot more than just people who are related by blood, by genetics. Family members, kinship caregivers are people like teachers of a child, coaches, their favorite pastor or a neighbor. These could just be people that they've seen a lot as they've grown up who know them, who they have a relationship with, who they have a connection with. So what I want everyone to be aware of is that if you are in that sort of position, you find out a child you know is in foster care, you can step forward and request that you be assessed as a kinship caregiver. So, Sada and Cruz, if you could uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves, so that way you can actually talk to people about your experiences, your journey through the foster care system, and into providing kin care.
1: I'm Sada,
2: And I am Cruz.
1: And we are foster parents, so we've been with Stanford. Birds here since 2017
0: yeah oh wow it's already been four years yeah isn't <laughs> that fun that's weird yeah I forget I've been here for eight years now <laughs> Fall
1: of 2017
0: yeah close enough and so why don't you tell everyone a little bit about why you got into foster care and if I remember correctly with the goal of foster to adopt
2: yeah so uh, we've Battled old infertility, uh, which we found out as we decided to start growing our family. Uh, and we actually tried to <clears throat> expand our family through open adoption. Uh, and we spent about a year and a half doing that and got almost all the way through until you find a match. And unfortunately, we got email one day stating that the adoption agency that we went through that was in business for 40-plus years, almost 50 years, uh, went bankrupt. So every everything that we put in to work for uh, for the last year and a half was gone. And our options were if we're willing to put ourselves into that or if we're willing to do foster, to expand our family. So we figured we did the open adoption that way. Let's try it this way.
1: And I think that really, that process really opened us up to having like an open relationship with birth families and kind of opened our eyes to the other side of the foster or adoption journey in general. Just having that perspective of what the birth parents are going through, um, whether they're choosing to place for adoption or in the this situation are in the foster system and are trying to reunify um or maybe not able to reunify and move through adoption that way
2: but yeah we read a lot of books for that uh, Mm -hmm. about perspectives on um, parents who place their children for adoption and it really gave us uh, a different perspective to see because I think going into it, we, we were like, oh, I know I felt uncomfortable when we were first talking about it. And after reading and learning uh, how openness helps the kids, then we I, I changed my perspective 100%.
1: We had the chance to listen to a birth mom talk about placing her child and then um, the relationship that she built with her child adoptive family afterwards and that really opened my eyes to like the different possibilities and how scared she was about having that relationship and then also just like how that can play out in various different ways but um how important it was and how successful and how resilient the kids were in that situation because not only was it her child that was um, adopted, but then there were also other siblings in that in the adoptive home. And so I thought that was really interesting how they all adapted to that relationship and that situation. I think a lot of people don't think of all the nuances and complexities in our social system <laughs> and lives, like step-parents and all these different things. It's like, there's tons of ways to make a family. And so this is how we chose to build ours. Mm-hmm.
0: So with that in mind, uh, your your ideas around connection with birth family, you've adopted one. Mm-hmm. And so what is his relationship like with his, his original family, with his
1: birth family? Um, we always refer, refer to it as his first family. And so that's what we started with. And I think really early on, we realized and made a priority for him is to have some connection to his first family. Um, and we just didn't know what that looked like. He, his plan was always to reunify. And so that had a lot of different nuances <laughs> to it along the way. Um, but we really thought it was important to foster that connection and um, early on made sure that he had a first family book that he could have and look through and that he knew the different people in his first family Um, and where they lived and all the different things that were going on with his particular case and then as his case moved further down the road um, we made sure that it was clear that we wanted to keep that open relationship and so he has ongoing contact with his first grandma um, on his mom's side and they we exchange photos with her online so it's all anonymous Um, like she can't Locate us or whatever, but it's through an online system and we post up the pictures like quarterly. And then he also gets to have FaceTime visits with her. And we kind of left that up to her. And when she felt comfortable reaching out or wanted to connect, because we know that that relationship well, is sensitive.
2: Well, it's and it's awkward because, you know, from their perspective, I can imagine she doesn't know if she's overreaching. And it it is just the very first few conversations versus where we're at now are so different Um, just because you get to know people and she sees that we're not these weird people. (laughs) We're, we're just people like everybody else. And, you know, she sees how our first guy is and yeah, I mean anytime that he wants to talk to her, we open that communication up and anytime she wants to talk to him, uh, you know, we're absolutely open for
1: that too.
2: So um,
1: it's definitely evolved over time. Yeah. I think it felt very formal and like clunky, partly because he was really young still. And so conversations on FaceTime or the phone were very clunky with a toddler. Um, but it's definitely gotten better and more fluid. And we have a lot more openness with like exchange, like they don't mail things um, to our PO box so that they can send things to him whenever they want to, and we share those photos. And she's shared some photos of his first family, even like um, grandpa and extended relatives and stuff. So I think that has been really beneficial for him. Um, and we really try to key him into if he has questions about his first family that he can always ask her um, when we don't have the answers.
0: I've I've known people who have done closed adoptions or people who have been adopted in closed adoptions and one of the things that is a common theme with closed those those people who have been adopted speak to the fact that they don't have answers to questions yeah. They don't know who their family is even basic questions like medical stuff they can't fill out family medical history they they don't know um, a lot of stuff about why is the biggest thing so thank you for Seeing the importance of that relationship and that connection, um, and that was a big part of continuum of care reform was um, making sure that we do develop that relationship with birth families, even if you know if the plan is reunification, certainly maintaining that. But even if the plan does wind up being for permanency, like guardianship or adoption, and mm-hmm. So another big thing and a big reason I wanted you two to speak with me today is that continuum of care reform and resource family approval also um, brought an emphasis of kinship care. So you two have been through literally every part of this process (laughs) through general foster care into adoption, which was its whole own thing because of COVID, I know. We could spend an hour talking about that by itself. Definitely. Uh, so how did your kinship journey start?
2: Well, uh, I think more so than anybody else in our families, family has always been the the most important thing to us just out of anything. Um, so, yeah, we were doing our process of fostering. I think we were abouting two years into
1: it we weren't we had gone through tpr but we had some um termination of parent rights sorry and then we were we had some hiccups and paperwork and some delays which has kind of been the mo for our journey and so we knew that our first was going to stay with us permanently and we were kind of open and getting ready to accept placements in general. Um, And then we found out. Yeah,
2: I got a phone call uh, to let us know that someone in our extended family, uh, circumstances where their two young children were in the system and they wanted to know if we would be willing to take them in because we're already an approved foster home, uh, because if they weren't, if we weren't, uh, willing to take them in, then they were going to try to take those steps. And at that time, that's exactly what we were looking for. So we said yes. Uh, and
1: we probably would have said yes, even if we weren't awaiting or planning to have our kids. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's Um, the whole family thing.
2: Um, so Yeah and then we kind of just started getting the ball rolling uh we called our social worker through stanford which was stanford at the time not stanford sierra and informed them that we had family in the system and that we would like to uh, foster them and then it took
1: she was great though. She was able yeah, to tell us like absolutely. we didn't know what steps to take or who to call or who to like w- how we would let the county know or how to like get in contact with the kids and who was responsible for them. Yeah. And so um it was really helpful to have a point person to call and say, okay, this happened. We are considering and wanting to do this. What do we need to do? Are we allowed to? Because um, it is through a different county than where we live. and it was too we weren't efficient we didn't have technically room for three kids on our license at the time and so we had to navigate that a little bit. Yeah
2: And originally we were only looking for probably one more until we got stable again uh, and moved because we needed a bigger place. Uh, and then yeah it just happened that there was two and
1: so we got all the Stanford side was able to deal with the logistics of our license and that thing and then also just support while we made the phone calls um, if a social worker didn't get back to me then it helps sometimes to have another social worker to call on them and be like hey I'm a social worker please call us back um and so that was really helpful and then
2: so it took about a month for us to actually have like a like get to see them again because it was the first time we saw them in about a year
1: mm-hmm.
2: um so yeah then we hung out at a park when it was a million and a half degrees outside <laughs> <Pretty> <laughs> I common,
1: mean, just to yeah. clarify uh
2: <laughs> those poor boys
1: yeah. <laughs> they, don't, they don't do well in here So we got to do that first visit with them. It was, it actually lasted a lot longer than we had planned for. And so that went really well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we had a county social worker come to approve our home um, from the county that they were in. Mm -hmm. And that went really well. And then we, I think we picked them up like two days later after that, after she approved our home.
2: Yeah, I think, I think three, three to four days later, we picked them up.
0: So even already being approved, having the home study on file, having a kiddo in your home, they still wanted that county social worker still wanted to make sure to do a check before they placed with you as kin.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it was just really interesting because
1: a lot of it had, I think, to do with boundaries yeah. of having appropriate boundaries with the bio parents and what our relationships were with them. Um, we had had conversations over the phone about like some of those things, but I think it was more about meeting and seeing us, um, and having those in-depth conversations about like what our plans would be, what our limits or, um, strictness with those boundaries we're going to be moving forward. And there are some, issues with boundaries with other extended family members. And so I think part of that conversation was just to say that she had seen us, but also to have those more in-depth conversations and make sure that we were really serious about maintaining good boundaries with bio parents. And make sure we follow
2: court order uh, because in some instances, some extended family were not allowed visits and she wanted to make sure that we understood that and that that's what we were going to do. Because, yeah, I, I would assume some people don't do that.
1: And I think us having been foster parents prior to the kinship really helped us like navigate that whole process because we were very used to having clear boundaries because our first, we didn't have any personal connection with his bio parents or his first family. And so we were very Clear on what was expected of us as foster parents. And so I think we came from that lens of like, we're treating this first as a foster placement and how we're looking at it, and as kinship and our family second. And we knew that that sometimes might mean that we don't get to go to a family function or we can't have a phone call with you or a FaceTime visit with you right now until we go through the proper steps. And so we did advocate for those things, um, and follow up and always like double check. But I think a lot of it was just, are we willing to do that? Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of put some of those relationships on hold for what was the best interest for the boys.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Would you say this has had any impact like on your relationships with extended family?
2: Yeah, I would, I would say for sure. Um, So I wouldn't say there was a coldness uh, with our first foster, but there definitely was an awkwardness with our siblings and our parents as to they don't know how warm to be with him. Um, Because especially at that time, we, we kept a lot of the information to ourselves. Uh, so, you know, it was difficult for them to be like, Oh, this is my grandbaby. Or like, this is my, this is my niece or nephew, uh, for our brothers and sisters. Uh, so we saw the difference almost immediately when it came to how they, two boys were welcomed, Because, uh, in fact, the very first time that they saw one of my siblings, uh, they were given a a hug and a, and a kiss on the cheek which is generally what we normally do for our family members. Uh, And I think it was the very first time they ever did that for our oldest. So it was very interesting to be like, wow, you literally did that the first time you quote unquote met the two younger boys, but you didn't do that the first time you met him. That's, that's kind of.
1: There are some differences in case situation. So, our, like I said, our first was very heavily reunification. And we made that really clear in the beginning with our family, because we wanted them to know, like, we were helping support that process. Um, and I think with the boys, the outcome was a lot more clear up front that this was most likely going to be a permanent plan. Um, just based on a lot of the circumstances that were happening previous with other kids and other things that had happened long before um, they were with us, so I think that piece had something to do with it. We also made the conscious decision to not tell some of our family that they are kinship placement, and so my family does not know that they are biologically related related to us. And they, that partly comes with we don't share a lot of our foster information because it's not our information to share with other people. Um, it's confidential, and so we try to limit as much information as possible. There's lots of probing of do they see their bio parents or their first family and blah, blah, blah. But I think we have in doing this, we have mitigated some of that the second time around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so that's a unique thing to navigate now as we're further down the road. Um,
2: But definitely in the beginning, especially with our first guy, it was a lot of questions about what happened and us saying, we are not gonna tell you, or we would just straight up just say, we don't know and whether that was the truth or not, because it was always easier. Uh, So they knew the second time around, even if they asked, we would not give any information. So
1: That has helped a bit.
2: Yeah, but overall there are definitely some awkward situations that happen
1: as for like a relationship with the closer members of their first family and like that relationship with them and us, um, I think there has been some like up and downs. We've seen some, we're really glad that they're with you and they're safe and they're well-loved and we're so happy that they have you moments. And then we've also seen a very quick switch in, we now have, more contact like those family members now have more contact with first parents and then there's like reverting back to um some of the like denial of what happened or the actual events or the actual and safety of the situations yeah so (laughs) I think some of that has come in waves and ultimately I'm sure there will be more complications in the relationship as we move forward. Um, because their plan is also adoption and so I think uniquely we struggle with a lot of relationship things early on with our first the all the like relationships with first family and the ups and downs happened while he was in the system and while that was happening and we were going back and forth with unification and I think for the kinship piece more of the navigating is going to happen after we finalize after the adoption and agreed how we're going to navigate the relationships or lack of relationships following um, their adoption.
2: Yeah, because these are people who have been involved in our lives, our whole entire lives. They're not a strange family. Uh, they're people that we would normally see uh, a few times a year. So to know that that's going to change is really all dependent on the safety and the wellness for the, for the boys. That's, that's what's most important.
0: This is all stuff as I've worked with, with kinship caregivers or potential kinship caregivers. This is a, I guess I could say a fairly typical experience around figuring out what those relationships and boundaries are going to look like. I'm really appreciative that you spoke to quite suddenly having to form boundaries that weren't there before. Yeah, Uh, because I've Uh, I've worked with kin and potential kin caregivers who were working to get their grandkids and like so suddenly I can't call my son whenever I want to um, or I can't, you know, have my brother over to couch surf when he needs a place to land um, because this boundary has to be in place and it does what I'm hearing from from what you're saying from your explanations is that it always comes back to the safety of the child.
2: Wait. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that was the very first phone call when we got when we found out that the boys were in the system uh, after we called uh, our social worker was a call to our extended family to let them know that, you know, we'd be willing to take them in and that we we're going to if everything is okay, but that we have to 100% follow the court order. And if the court order is zero contact from you, then it will be zero contact from you. And it was very important for us from day one, just even showing interest that they understand that because we also know how emotions get involved and, oh, well that's just, you know, that's Cruz. I've known him since he was a baby and he'll let me do this. And no, like, that's not how that's going to work, unfortunately. So, yeah.
1: I think it's interesting that we've talked about, like, having all this, like, openness with um, our first, like, family. And we've had a lot of conversations. We don't have contact with his first mom right now, which is who he primarily had contact with. Um, But we've had conversations about like how down the road, we hope that she will open up to that or reach out um, through his granny and have um, some sort of contact and interaction. And just with that as like a plan moving forward down the road, hopefully if she becomes open to that. And I think it's interesting that with this kinship, situation we've kind of had some of those conversations but we're so much more hesitant about it being our kin <laughs> and kind of like seeing the situation as it had evolved without like knowing that it was evolving before but like hindsight you're like wait oh all these things now are like sticking out yeah that explains why that explains- there was a
2: year gap where nobody saw them and-
0: yeah
1: yeah
2: so
0: it and sounds so I- like one of the hard things with with kinship versus foster care is it does sound like there's a little bit more personalization to it
2: oh yeah absolutely absolutely and you try to manage a lot of people's feelings when it comes to that Mm -hmm. Um, like like Seda said earlier uh, we see a lot of a lot of wow they're doing so well and then later you can see that that's kind of like, wow, they're doing so well with you, but they didn't do so well with blah, blah, blah. And that kind of hurts because they might see that as their own failure mm-hmm. as like, oh, I did something wrong that they couldn't be the parents that you were being to them. Mm-hmm. And that's not what it is because that's not what it is. Um, we all have
1: different circumstances and different beasts that we're fighting and different things that are going on in our life. And I think it is hard and there's like, I think it's interesting how you can kind of see that shift from like really positive feedback and so happy for all of the good things, but then also see as like their heart breaks or feels defeated or feels like they failed their own, like they feel feel their own families And that led to all of this. Mm -hmm. So definitely lots of managing and trying to be kind and respectful and courteous of those feelings. And I think we do a pretty good job with that with our first, but it's just a little more in depth and more complex with kinship. I mean this is like a really unique thing that probably doesn't happen very much but we also considered a lot about like the effects of taking them and
2: how that would affect our oldest we've been doing a pretty good job not mentioning that quack is black but one of the reasons that's important for us to have that open communication with his first family is that he sees his family because they're black like him and it's important that like if he asks a question that we can't answer, because we I'm I'm not black, state is not black, and I can't give every answer that he asks, that he could ask someone, especially a family member, so it wouldn't feel awkward. Um,
1: we also made it very important in our life to make sure that we live in a very diverse neighborhood. He goes to a very diverse school district, and we have he diverse has,
2: literature, um, multimedia. It's a
1: lot of connections to his culture.
2: Yes. Um, but that like with the boys, they're not. And that for us raised kind of a flag that we didn't know if we should look at because we didn't want our first to look at himself as the only one who looks like him, which that's going to happen. I mean, that's just uh that's a human experience. And yeah, that was just an, another thing that we looked at, especially in getting more kids.
1: And we have pretty open communication with all of our kids. They're all five and under. So these conversations are very appropriate and basic. Um, but he knows that the family members that are related to the little boys are called something called different. something different um, for him than what the little boys call them. And we've had those conversations and explained. Um, and we Always show pictures of this is your first family and this is their first family. And so we have a lot of that dialogue, and I'm sure that will get more in-depth and lengthy as we go along. But I think that's really important because I don't want him to feel like let well, it know that about them, or feel like he's like excluded because his first family is not part of our first family. Everyone's first family. And he <laughs> asks, he's like, Who's your first mom and who's your first dad? And so we have those conversations about. My first mom is grandma, and I think that that really helps them navigate because they can kind of see how those lines match up for everyone. And our family is just a little bit different than everyone else's.
2: Just a little bit, Schmidt.
0: <laughs> so Seda and Cruz, with all of the information that you've presented today, you know the the complications around kinship of having to set boundaries that maybe you haven't set before. Um, The parts of kinship that are a little bit better where you have a pre existing relationship. Why should I step forward and ask to be assessed as a kinship caregiver for a child in foster care.
1: I think you should step forward because you are a link to these kids or this child's first family and that is something that cannot be replaced um, or represented in another way. So I think it's really important to have those connections. And if kids can live even for a short time with people who have that connection, it is so important to bring some stability and some normalcy, but also if it turns into a more longer term Um, situation they will always have that connection and that link to people who knew or know things about their first family about family names or traditions or cultural things or holidays and all kinds of things that you don't think of on a daily basis and I can't think of right now but those connections come up so often Um, and I think that has been huge for us is fostering that connection.
2: I would say that you should step forward because family is very important to most people. And if it's important to you, this is a way that you could help make a not so happy situation a little bit easier for the kids um, because as for your family members, for your family members, because when children are removed, it's tragic for the parents and it's tragic for the kids. And it's always nice to know that there's a family member who's willing to come forward and maybe help ease that tragedy uh, a little bit compared to Not knowing that's the biggest thing is you answer a question of not knowing Um, we've made, we've met a lot of amazing foster families uh, that are doing really great work. uh, But in the end, when someone might look at it, it might be a stranger to them and you are not you're a family member that they saw maybe in diapers maybe grow up maybe in high school and they see the adult that you are now and it just it's almost giving them a hug letting them know that it's going to be okay
1: and you don't have to be like a close family member like a sister or a brother um you can be an extended family member an aunt an uncle a cousin a neighbor a teacher a daycare worker um i think it's important to know that like the family connection goes far beyond just your immediate family. There's a community of people that your family interacts with. And so it's hard work and it's difficult to have strict boundaries, but those boundaries are for a short designated period of time. And you can always work towards having good clear boundaries and still having contact and communication. And there's lots of love to give. So just give
0: love. Thank you both. Seda and Cruz, thank you so much again for joining me today to share your experiences across the spectrum of being resource parents. Again, going through the approval process with two agencies. Uh, within your personal journey and then on top of that going through the foster care experience and and the uncertainty of not knowing if you're going to be able to adopt right out the gate and then going into kinship uh, you are amazing for everything that you have done and I know I really appreciate it and I'm sure that you have taught everyone out there a lot
1: thank you it was a pleasure joining you Thank you. And having some adult interaction was really nice.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Isn't it though? To sum everything up once again, kinship, foster care is a part of the foster care process. These are children who are served by the child welfare system. They do still receive services very similar to any other child. The difference is that you already have a relationship with that child in some form or another. And with that likely comes a relationship with their first family which in turn means it has its own complications there are boundaries that you have to create there are things that you have to put forward right out the gate and saying there are people that we cannot see as much as we once did things we cannot talk about the way we once did but at the same time it all comes back to attachment it all comes back to the safety of a child and maintaining their relationships. You, as a kinship provider, can answer questions that no resource parent without that pre existing connection can answer. So, what I want you to do right now in this moment is visualize for just a moment, think about one child that you know, one child in your life who you know. What would you do right now? if you found out that that child had been taken into foster care. This could be a neighbor. This could be someone that your child knows from school. This could be someone that you coach. Someone that you've worked with. These are all kinship parents. These are all kinship family members. So you do have the ability to step forward and say, I know this child." and I will be a safe place. We encourage kinship because statistically speaking, children who are placed with a kin caregiver, again, that can be a relative or a close family friend or someone with a connection. Statistically speaking, those kids will have fewer placements. They have more likelihood of finding a permanent outcome, meaning that they are more likely to reunify more quickly. And barring that, they're more likely to have a permanent home with you. With fewer moves, fewer disruptions, and therefore fewer traumas. That's special. That's important. We want more kids to have that. So if you know a child, and again, let's just visualize right now. If you know a child, what would you do finding out that they are in child welfare? Because I bet that you wouldn't be sitting there going, well, I'm not ready. You would be saying, who do I call right now? Fortunately, I can tell you who to call. You can call us at 916-368-5114 to find out more, to ask general questions about kinship, what it means. And also just to get started with the resource family approval process. As always, you can visit our website as well at ssyaf.org, and you can find a great deal of information about foster care adoption, all of our mental health, and other programs there too. Thank you so much again for joining us, and
2: until we talk to you again, keep thriving.